Yeah, Alex, did, Alex and I did a lot of traveling in, in Germany and South Africa and Namibia um, over the last three months. Uh, we had a good time. It was also difficult, but um, we could see it in different ways that people were saying, um, you just came at the right time. Uh, so yeah, we really felt sent by God uh, to the different places that we, we were at. Um, yeah, so thank you for those, those of you who prayed for us. Uh, we, we definitely needed that. Um, so thank you. Yeah, this morning we're going to look at uh, John 6, uh, starting the series off, uh, on the I Am's of Jesus. Isn't that amazing that we worship a God who actually reveals himself? We can't take that for granted. Jesus is actually someone who is willing to open his deepest heart to us. He is someone who is willing to show us what he is really like. And I find it very interesting. I don't know whether you ever thought about it, that all the I am sayings of Jesus are in the Gospel of John. Why is that? Jesus had 12 disciples, uh, Matthew and Mark through Peter. Uh, they also wrote a gospel. Why are the I am sayings not in their gospels, only in John's gospel? And I think there's a link between Jesus revealing himself and Jesus loving. He loved all the 12 disciples the same because it says there's no favoritism with God. So he loved all the 12 disciples the same. But there's a relationship between Jesus revealing himself and then the openness of the heart receiving that revelation. There's a connection. And we can see that John's heart was more open than the hearts of the other disciples in that G John identified himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, Jesus loved the other 11 as well. He even loved Judas. The day that Judas betrayed him, uh, Jesus called him friend. So Jesus loved all the 12. But John had a heart that was willing, open to receive the revelation that Jesus wanted to give of himself. And there's a lesson there for us already in that. The openness of our heart determines how much Jesus can reveal of himself to us. He, is not, he doesn't show favoritism. It's not about where we're coming from, how mature we are. All of those things, they don't matter. The only thing that matters is how open is our heart to receive what he wants to reveal of himself. So we're going to look at the first I am saying in John chapter 6, it's a very interesting chapter on many different levels. It starts off with Jesus feeding the 5,000. And then afterwards, what do the people say? Done deal. We need this man. He's going to be our next king because he's going to provide. Man, this is easy. We don't need to work anymore. He just speaks a word and out of a little bit of food, there's enough food for 5,000. He's our next king. What does Jesus do? He retreats. He goes up on the mountain to pray. Then the disciples are out on the sea, uh, struggling during the night. Jesus is praying. Then he comes to them. Uh, they land over on the other side of the sea. The people, they get up the next morning. They want to see Jesus again. They want more food. They realize Jesus is not there anymore, so they chase after him. Where is he? Where is he? Okay, then they find out, okay, probably he's gone back to Capernaum. All of them, they go back to Capernaum. Lord, when did, we, when, when did you come here? How did you come here? Jesus said, look, the only reason why you're looking for me is not because you saw a sign. Now, a sign is pointing to something. The sign is pointing to who Jesus is. And Jesus is saying, you didn't see the sign. You only had a fill of the loaves. That's the only reason why you are coming to me. And so that is why Jesus is not interested in revealing more, revealing more of himself to them because they were not interested in that kind of revelation. They just wanted more for their stomach. 
That's in verse 26. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. And then Jesus says this. He's, he's redirecting their focus. And he says, Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Now Jesus is offering them the right perspective in life. And again, it's very interesting to see the conversation that now continues. Because what do the people do? They evade. They evade the real issue that is there. What do they say? So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Seriously? Just the day before, they saw the sign. So why are they asking again for another miracle? It's because their heart is not willing to respond to what Jesus just said. So any way of evading is fine with me. Just, okay, uh, well, no, we need, just need to see another sign, please. Can you please perform for us another sign? Then we, maybe we uh, may be uh, uh, believing in you, but first you need to show us something. And then they say, yeah, well, look, just look at, um, no, before they say that, actually Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. Again, redirecting their focus. After they had asked, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus is always redirecting their focus. It's very interesting how they try to manipulate Jesus, and Jesus will not be manipulate, manipulated by anyone. They, they talk about what Moses did for the Israelites in the wilderness, And then Jesus said to them, verse 32, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So here Jesus begins to reveal something of himself. What do the people do? They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. That is something that happens very, very quickly. Our perspective of how our Christian life works is so much tainted by our flesh that when we think God needs to do something, actually God says, no, 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 you need to do something. Because what the people are saying, okay, well, if you're talking about this bread, we don't really understand, but that's fine, just give us this bread. It's very interesting how Jesus then responds. He says, all right, here it is. He says, I am the bread. Whoever comes to me will never hunger. Whoever drinks of me will never be thirsty again. What's going on there? What's going on there is this. The people come and they, in their thinking, it's like, yeah, God really is the one who owes us. We are doing everything we're supposed to be doing. So really, Jesus, if you claim, if you are the one you claim to be, if you really came from heaven, then you need to do something. You need to give us this bread always. It's your fault if we don't have this bread because you didn't give it to us. So you are the one who needs to do something now. You need to give us this bread. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. That's not the way it is. I am the bread. I'm the bread of life. If you come to me, you are the ones who need to do something. You need to make a choice. You need to choose whether you want to stay where you are or whether you want to come to me. I am the bread of life. I'm available I don't show favoritism. Anyone who comes to me, I will not throw out. 
But you are the ones who need to come. You are the ones who need to do something. It's not me that needs to do something here. You need to do something. And I find that very interesting in my own life, <laughs> in the lives of others, how we swap. When God expects us to do something, we think, no, 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 I'm fine. I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do. God really is the one who needs to do something. And then we start praying like these people. Lord, give us this bread always. And God is saying, look, the problem is not me not giving you. It's not an issue of prayer. You need to do something here. You need to turn. You need to leave wherever you are at. And you need to come to me because the answer is not in me giving you something. The answer is in you coming to me. I am the answer. And if you come to me, in me you have the answer. So Jesus says to the people, I can't give you this bread because I am the bread. You need to come to me. As you come to me, I will satisfy you because I am the bread of life. And so that really is the question. Does Jesus satisfy you? Because he is the bread of life. And the quality of bread is that it satisfies We as Germans know that very well. <laughs> We eat bread all day long. <laughs> bread is there to satisfy. Now, Jesus doesn't say, I'm the chocolate cake of life. He also doesn't say, I'm the icing on the cake. He says, I'm the bread of life. I am that which sustains you. I am that which you need every day. Now, these days we have our choice. We can use muesli and cereals and whatever, or bread. In those days, it's bread. Just bread. That's what sustains you. That's the, the staple food. That's what you need every day. So Jesus is saying, that's who I am. I am the one whom you need every day. If you come to me, you will experience that I satisfy. Because that's what I'm like. I'm the bread of life. I'm studying the East African revival. It's very interesting. Um, started in Rwanda, Uganda. Uh, they had three conferences, 1945, 55, 65. And it's interesting to see the titles of, of those conferences. 1945, Jesus satisfies. 1955, Jesus satisfies, question mark. 1965, Jesus satisfied, says, Jesus satisfies, exclamation mark. That was their focus. And that is why the movement went on and on and on for decades. Because their focus was, Jesus is enough. He really satisfies. If I have him, I don't need anything else. And the people, they were going through terrible times. There were droughts and famines and all those kind of things happening in East Africa at that time. But people realized, if I just have him, I have enough. Because he is the bread of life. He is the one who satisfies. And that really is the, the question we need to ask ourselves. What is my quiet time really like? When I spend time with Jesus, what is happening? When I read my Bible, when I spend time with him, is it in such a way that afterwards my heart really is full? Because we can do our quiet times, we can just read and read and read, but afterwards our hearts are just as empty as before because we have never met him. And then he doesn't satisfy us. We're just going through the motions, just doing it routinely. That's what a good Christian does, so let me do it. Or is it really a transaction? I come with my empty heart and he just comes and reveals himself to me afresh and afterwards my heart is full and I'm like, I don't need anything else anymore. I have you. I have you. How does Jesus satisfy us? There's some verses that um, have really become my favorite verses over the last couple of years. Uh, one of them is in, in Psalm 90 verse 40, 14. I really like that verse. 
It says this, Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. That's what Moses is praying here. He's crying out and he's saying, Lord, what we need is you to satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love. Because when you satisfy us with your love, then we're actually glad all our days. When we were driving here, we stopped over at a place and there was a buffet breakfast. Who likes buffet breakfasts? Yes. The nice thing about buffet breakfasts is you can just eat as much as you like. So you just stuff yourself. And God lays out his love every morning. Do we feast on the love of God every morning? Because if we don't, we will look for satisfaction elsewhere. We will. Our hearts are just like those black holes that just like, draw everything to itself and just consume, consume, consume. And Moses realized there's only one way for that to stop. And that is when our hearts are satisfied by God's love every morning. Then our hearts are full, then we don't need all the other stuff. But if our hearts are not filled with the love of God, we will look for other things or other people to satisfy us. And when we do, it's obvious what happens. <laughs> Strife and argument and those kind of things, they start. Because it's possible for me to look for satisfaction in Alex for her to say things that uh, make me feel better or whatever, it's possible. But guess what? It strains the relationship. Because relationships, especially marriage, is not there for me to get something. It's there for me to give. How can I give? It's only when I've received. And when my heart is full of the love of Jesus, automatically the overflow will be giving. When my heart is not filled with the love of Jesus, I will be like, okay... <laughs> I need to receive. I need to get. And that is why Moses prayed, Lord, that's what we need every morning. And the breakfast buffet is laid out for every one of us every morning. We can feast on his love every morning. We can feast on his goodness. There's a couple of verses there in, in Psalms as well. Uh, Psalm 34 verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. What an invitation. Taste and see that the Lord is good. All of us can do that. Just to meditate on our lives, to look back, to see how God has been good to us. If I look back over the last couple of years, I'm amazed to see the goodness of God in my life because it's not deserved at all. It's all just grace. It's his goodness. It's his kindness towards me. And just to look back and to think, thank you, Lord. This is, and we've done this this morning. Thank you, Lord. This is what you've done for me. The kind of relationships that you've put into my life, the friendships, the intimacy that is there. Thank you, Lord. Your provision. Thank you, Lord. Your goodness at work in my life. It's just amazing. And it satisfies. Taste and see. Taste it. See it, that the Lord is good. Psalm 103, verse 5 also. I just, David just praises God. In verse 5 he says, um, Who satisfies you with good, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. 
God is not stingy. He's very ready to give. One of the verses that God spoke to me a couple of weeks ago, and again about a year ago or so, I don't know, several times over the last couple of years, is in uh, Psalm, Psalm 80, or rather 81, verse 10. It's an invitation. Psalm 81, verse 10. Second part of the verse is this. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. That's an amazing invitation. God says, look, I see your heart. Your heart is empty. Just open wide because I will be able to satisfy you. And that's the invitation that is there for every one of us this morning. God says, look, I am willing to satisfy you if you just open your heart wide, I will fill you. I will fill you. <laughs> we can feed on His grace. We can feed on His grace. And grace really is God looking at us with a smile of favor shining on his face. That is what we can feed on every day because it doesn't depend on us, it depends on what Christ has done. But I can come into the presence of Almighty God who is holy and I can look into his face and what I see on his face is a smile towards me because of what Christ has done. And that satisfies, that feeds. The grace of God really feeds us if we allow it to work deeply in our hearts. Now we can close our hearts against God's grace. That's what the, the Pharisees did, for example. It's possible to do that because God never forces himself on us in any way. It's always an invitation that Jesus has. He invites us into closer fellowship with him. And if we respond to his invitation, he pours out more of his love and more of his grace into our lives. But it's our choice, really, whether we want that or not. And then in John 6, Jesus himself, he talks about feeding on his death and on his life. Uh, that's in verse 56, where he says, Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. Now, what is Jesus talking about here? He's obviously not talking about his physical flesh and blood. He didn't pluck out his flesh to give it to his disciples. He's talking about spiritual realities. He's talking about, you need to feed on my death, and on my life, because um, uh, the, the, the body broken is really a symbol for Jesus' death, and then his life, his blood poured out is really a symbol of his life, because that's what the Old Testament says, the life is in the blood. So what we see there is Jesus saying, inviting us every day, come to me and feed on the fact that I gave my life for you. I gave my life for your sins to be forgiven, and even more. That's just, the, in a way, the, the first step into the work of the cross. But after the first step comes the second step where Paul says, actually, there's more to the cross than Jesus having died for my sin. He actually united me with himself, and that's why he says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. What Jesus has done on the cross had not only an effect on my sin to cleanse me from my sin, but it actually also had an effect on my flesh because my flesh was united with Christ in his death so that I'm free from my flesh. It has no power over me anymore. 
by what Christ has done on the cross for me. So Jesus says, feed on that every day. When you're struggling with sin, struggling with temptation, feed on the fact that you have been crucified together with me. And if there is sin, feed on the fact that my blood is sufficient. I have given my life for you. My sacrifice is enough. Your sins can be forgiven. You can be free. Feed on that. And then not only that, but feed on my life, the blood that was poured out. Feed on my life every day. Lord, thank you. I'm not on this world to do my best for you, but actually you have come to live inside of me. And now Christ in you, Paul says, that's the hope of glory. The hope of glory is not me trying to reach the next level in my walk with God and then trying to reach the next level again and then reading my Bible more and praying more and then somehow hopefully one day reaching the level where God will be satisfied. No, Christ living in me, that is the hope of glory. The hope of achieving what God has in, in, in mind for my life. That's not in me. It's in Christ in me that that hope is found. And Jesus is saying, feed on that every day. It's my life in you you need to focus on. Don't focus on your strengths or on your weaknesses. Those things are irrelevant when it comes to my life. And I live in you. So just feed on that. Thank you, Lord. You live in me. Whatever the challenges I face today, your wisdom is enough. I don't need my own wisdom. You are there. Guide me, Lord. Show me. Speak to me. Reveal yourself to me. Reveal your mind to me. What am I supposed to do here? You know, so show me. He's very willing to do that. But the question is, you cannot feed somebody who is not hungry. I think uh, those of us who have children, they know very well. <laughs> you try to feed a child that's not hungry, it's not going to go well. <laughs> Why are children not hungry? Why are we not hungry spiritually? Well, a very simple recipe. Just give your child chocolate before dinner. It's not going to like the dinner. It wants the chocolate. The same is true for us spiritually. We can't feed on the wrong stuff that somehow destroys our appetite for the real thing. Now, we can feed, for example, uh, we can feed our, try to feed our spiritual life on Christian books. Nothing wrong with Christian books. I like them, I read them. But we can feed our spiritual lives on them. If we do, we will not have a taste for Christ himself anymore. It's a dangerous thing to do. Also, children are not hungry when they are sick. They don't want to eat. If there is no hunger in us for Jesus, it's an indication that we are probably sick spiritually. Something is wrong somewhere. We may have compromised with sin, or there may be lies we are believing, or something is wrong somewhere, but that's not normal for a child of God, not to be hungry for Jesus. That's not normal. And then the last reason, obviously, you can't try to feed somebody who is dead. Obvious. But spiritually, the same is true. If you're talking to a person and that person simply has no spiritual hunger and you, you just try to give and invest and somehow the person just doesn't take it in, sooner or later you need to ask the question, well, is that person actually born again? Because if the person's not born again, you can try to spoon-feed him all your life. It's just not going to go in. How are we supposed to feed on Jesus? Well, that's the difference between a torch and a light bulb. Um, if I take my phone out, it has a torch. Um, there it is. Why does the torch work now? It's got battery, exactly. That's what it depends on. If I take a light bulb and just hold it up, it's not going to shine. Why? 
because there's a difference between relying on a battery and relying on the constant supply of power. And we can live our Christian lives as battery Christians, where we rely on what God gives us maybe on a Sunday morning or during Bible study or even during our quiet time. And then it's like, okay, now I'm charged up again. Now I can run. And then we're dry again. Then I need another quiet time. Then I can run again. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 that's, that's not the way it is. And I think whoever is teaching on the, on the vine and the branches is going <laughs> to uh, have that as his topic. But feed constantly on Jesus as your bread of life. It's not just in the morning. It's not just on Sundays. All day long, he is the bread of life. Whenever something comes where you just feel like, oh, Lord, I'm just, just go to him. He's going to satisfy you again. One way of feeding ourselves is by meditating on him. It's in Psalm 63, verse 5 and 6. Psalm 63, verse 5 and 6. It says this, My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. David is praying and he's saying, when I meditate on who God is, when I meditate on his character, when I meditate on his love, on his grace, on his mercy, on his kindness, when I meditate on these things, my soul actually gets satisfied. As much as with rich food. So it has the same effect. It just satisfies. Just to, to, to meditate upon God's character fills the heart, fills the soul. Now all of that sounds very, very well, but it's, it's sad to see, and it's a serious truth, that when Jesus reveals himself, Division comes. When we look at Jesus speaking here, I'm the bread of life, he's not making some cute little comment. When Jesus reveals himself like that, division comes straight away. Why? Because whenever truth comes, and the deeper a revelation of truth comes, the more separation comes. That is the effect truth has. Truth always separates. That's what we see happening here. Jesus is speaking about himself. He's revealing who he is. He's revealing that he really is at the center of the universe. Not just the center of the universe. He's at the center of our individual lives. He is the bread of life. If we have him, we have life. If we don't have him, we don't have life. So Jesus is really revealing, I am the one you need. What happens? What kind of effect does that have on the people? Verse 60. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? They get offended with Jesus. But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you, if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It's the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by my Father. Sorry, by the Father. Verse 66. After this, 
many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. That's serious. That comes after Jesus reveals himself. This is not coming after Jesus making a high demand or, or saying something that is hard for people to swallow. Jesus revealing himself as the bread of life. People go, whoa, 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 wait, this is going too far. Who do you think you are? We can do very well on our own, thank you. And many of them, they left him. I don't know about you, I've been a Christian now for 30 years, a little bit more. And I can look back already on those short 30 years, and I can see people who started off, who were maybe in youth group or a teenager group, or even then uh, when we got married, that were fri- they were friends with us. They don't walk with Jesus anymore. It's sad to see. It's like, how can you leave him? But that is what truth does. Truth brings division. It separates between those who really love God and who really want to follow him and those who are just in there for their own benefit. Because remember, that's what's happening at the beginning of the chapter. Jesus is saying, look, you only came to me because you had your, aid, you had your fill of the loaves. And that is what we will find. If you come to Jesus for any other reason but Jesus, sooner or later you will leave him. If you come to Jesus for your own benefit in any other way, whether it's material or physical or psychological or spiritual or whatever way it is, if you come to Jesus for anything for yourself, you will not last. You will only last if you come to Jesus for Jesus himself because you want him. And that is what truth does. It it separates. We can see the same in Paul. Wherever he came, people had to react. There was no, no one really who said, well, Paul is a good guy, I don't really agree, but either people followed Jesus after Paul preached or they wanted to stone him. That's what you see in every town Paul goes to. And that is what truth does. It divides. It divides. And it's very interesting what Jesus then does. Because just a few verses before, he said... Whoever the Father gives to me, I will in no way cast out. And he knew the twelve disciples were the ones that the Father had given to him. What does he do now? He actually asks the twelve, so Jesus said to the twelve, verse 67, do you want to go away as well? What is Jesus doing here? Well, for one, he's definitely not afraid of losing disciples. He's also not afraid, well, the Father has given me these twelves. I need to make sure that they stay with me. So I need to just, I don't know, I don't know. If you leave me also, you're going to go to hell. No. Jesus actually gives the free choice to the disciples and says, look, everyone else is going. What about you? Do you want to go as well? Jesus is perfectly free in his heart. He knew the the, the task that the Father had given him. He knew these 12 are the ones the Father has given to me. These 12 are the ones who are to evangelize the world. But still, he could trust his Father fully. There was no way Jesus would manipulate the disciples into staying with him. No way. He gave them the free choice and said, Look, it's your choice whether you want to stay or go. And I think that's important for each one of us as well because God has given to each one of us a job to fulfill in his kingdom. And we are at different stages in fulfilling that job. Some of us maybe don't know what that job is yet. 
then we need to seek God. Lord, reveal to me, what is the task that you have for me in your kingdom? Some of us, maybe we know what the task is, but we're not doing it yet. And so we need encouragement. Yes, this is what God has for you. Go ahead, do it. Because that is the task he has given to you. Some of us know what it is and we're doing it. And that's where this lesson comes in. We don't need to make sure that the results of what we are doing for God are acceptable. We don't. Jesus didn't. He was totally sure and relaxed in the Father. He was not concerned about the results of his ministry. Now, just imagine, everyone else is leaving him. There's just the 12. And just imagine them also leaving, and Jesus going back to the Father saying, sorry, um, there was really no one. Uh, kind of failed. Jesus didn't bother about that. He could entrust everything to his father and say, Lord, it's not, I don't need to make any sure of anything here. I don't need to manipulate anyone here. If you want to go, you're free to go. I won't keep you. And that kind of freedom then brought out Paul's confession. It says, where shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. There's nowhere else we can go. So that really is the invitation that, that God has for us this morning. Come to me. Because I'm the bread of life. Don't try to be satisfied anywhere else. It's not going to work. I alone am the bread of life. So come to me. I'm waiting every day. I'm waiting for you to come to me. And maybe some of us here, we need to repent this morning before God. Because we have been going elsewhere to satisfy our hearts. And God has been waiting for us to come back to him. He won't push us. He's only inviting.